With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. We've got a packed Premier League podcast for you today. Last night, West Ham got the better of West Brom and Leicester City went top by beating a fragile Chelsea 2-0 at the King Power Stadium. Manchester City can go top tonight if they beat Aston Villa and Manchester United, they can then go top themselves if they win at Fulham. What a title race it's shaping up to be. I'm Niall McCorn. this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a brand new show every single day of the season. Today we'll pick apart last night's action as well as looking ahead to this evening's top flight affairs. Plus we'll be answering some of your questions in the AQA section of the podcast. Helping me through all of that today, it's Marley Anderson. All right, Marley? Hello guys, how are we doing? Yeah, very, very good. And Callum Tyler's here too. Hi Callum. Hello, title races are back. Title races are back on the agenda for 2020-21. We need a bit of excitement in our lives, don't we, considering this whole lockdown business. And we got it last night at the King Power Stadium. Leicester 2, Chelsea 0. I thoroughly enjoyed this game. Uh, Leicester dominated the game. They go top of the Premier League. For me, Callum, they totally deserved the win. Yeah, they were very professional. Um, It was a very organised performance. They just seemed to be clinical taking Chelsea apart they capitalized on their mistakes and there was it was said in commentary as well I think and I listened to the end of it on the radio that by the end of the game Leicester sort of weren't really overexerting themselves they knew the game was done Chelsea weren't getting back in it and that's the kind of performance that you know the cliche goes that's that's what title winning teams look like it was really impressive from them and then the flip side is terrible from Chelsea what do you put Chelsea's lack of form down to Marley is there any particular reason Stefan pointed out on one of the podcasts earlier this week that it was perhaps the fact that they've struggled in front of goal they've only scored one goal in recent games rather than finding the net a couple of times with exception to the West Ham game where they did win 3-0 but they went and beat Fulham 1-0 they only scored one goal in the game against Villa Uh, and other recent matches they've only tended to score one goal rather than uh, putting a couple past their opposition is that the reason why Chelsea are struggling or is there other factors do you think? Yeah, I think with, with Chelsea, it's uh, it's a weird one because there's not something obviously wrong, um, but 
obviously they're not playing anywhere near where you would expect them to be but I think maybe in my opinion it probably just com- comes down to the the lack of gelling with the new players um, I still don't think Lampard knows his best team um, and I think that's that's an issue because you know he's, he's second guessing himself and he's he's trying to keep a lot of players happy like Hudson Odoi is not very happy I don't think with the amount of games he's been playing he got a chance last night didn't really do much um, you know the players like you, you've got to leave one of Pulisic, Havertz, Hudson Adoy, Ziek, um, Werner, Abraham, Giroud. You've got to leave at least two or three of them out every time you pick a team. And I think with the constant rotation, different things can can solve different problems. But it's when when you've got a specific sort of good team in front of you, like Leicester. You know, you've got to get your team selection right, otherwise you'll get picked off because Brendan Rodgers is very, very good tactically. And I think last night you just seen that. I think Chelsea were were second best tactically. Um and they couldn't live with a team that was as organised and as um quality as Leicester. Um and in in the in the end it was pretty comfortable, I think, for Leicester and they uh, they can have no issues, Chelsea, with losing two 0 because they were never really looking like winning the game, I don't think. Yeah, I think that that was one of the factors in Frank Lampard's post-match interview, Callum, that he said that Chelsea have spent... Uh, well, he said that he didn't think Chelsea were ready to be title contenders. Um, they spent 150 to 200 million quid in the summer. Uh, Chelsea as a football club just by existing surely should expect to be title contenders considering where they've been in the Premier League in recent seasons, at least since Abramovich came in in the early part of the century and, and pumped some money into the club. I mean, they've won titles, they've won FA Cups, they've even won the Champions League in that 15-year spell. I mean, surely Chelsea should be expecting to be knocking around in the title race and not five points adrift of the top four at this stage of the season. Yeah, the expectations, as you say, are, are super high at Chelsea and Lampard will know that. And, and you start to see sometimes in these interviews and things he says, I think he's feeling the pressure because he knows exactly how it works at Chelsea and and the fact that, that coaches don't get time. It's funny, you say that... Um, the, the, the Premier League or he says that the Premier League might be a little bit early for Chelsea I wonder if Chelsea was a little bit early for Frank Lampard I think he's he's got to sort of grow as a coach he's kind of as young and inexperienced as many of these players in in terms of coaching as they are in playing and there was a real naivety when, when I was watching them last night especially some of the ways that they defended from Leicester mm-hmm. um, I think I think Marley make a good point I think there's, there's too many good players to choose from someone's always going to be unhappy um, a lot of the players just looked like completely unmotivated. Havertz, especially for me, looked like that. And there was it put me in mind of there was a game when remember Man City rumped to the league title in like 2019 and they beat Chelsea six 0 at home. And for the final three goals, Chelsea just stood still and kind of let them walk through them. And it was a really quite shocking thing to see. But I, that for me, that's that's where this Chelsea team are getting to. And I think from Lampard's point of view, it comes down to to motivation. He talks a lot about motivation and I think he thinks he's really good at it but he's also he also is not shy from like slagging his players off in the press and he's got a very strange relationship with like failure and creating his little luck and he said some things before that it's just made me think oh there's probably there's probably something to unpack there within your psyche a wee bit and I, I don't know that that he's cut out to manage these young players at this stage in their career. I think it's a good point because if you take a look at where the players have been signed from with the exception of Ben Chilwell from Leicester City who I think has been the best addition that Chelsea have made in the summer, uh, bar Thiago Silva, because obviously he was a free transfer. Uh, but you look at that, Ben Chilwell um, has been at a club who has won the Premier League in recent years in Leicester and knows what it's like to uh, upkeep a, 
a, a big mentality, let's just say, playing under Brendan Rodgers. We know what his coaching style is like. Likewise with Thiago Silva coming from PSG. He's come from a champion club in that country, in, in France, who basically win everything. So if you're talking about winning mentality, you've then got two other players like Timo Werner, um, and Kai Havertz, who have come from Leipzig and Leverkusen, respectively, two decent enough Bundesliga clubs, but you know they're they're not winning, you know DFB Pokals or Bundesliga titles. They're they're not winning clubs. Let's just say they're decent enough clubs, but maybe that's what it is that some of these players don't have that winning mentality, and it's something they're going to have to learn. I don't know what you think, Marley. Yeah, I think you raise raise a pretty good point. They they haven't won much in their careers. They're all they've been at clubs that are capable of winning things. Um, but in Germany, it's just a it's a buying monopoly, pretty much, isn't it? I mean, you get the cup winners change around every few seasons. You know, you see Frankfurt winning it a couple of years ago. I think Dortmund have won a few in the past sort of decade or so. But yeah, I think you know when you come into a new league, it does help to have experience. And sometimes players don't need it. Sometimes players can just shine through on the raw talent. Um, and that happens a lot. You see with like Bruno Fernandes, for example, at Man United, just taking the taking the bull by the horns kind of thing and saying, right, I'm the main man. But not every player is like that in, in the mentality. I think Havertz is a very young 22 or whatever he is. He's not very, um, he's not the type of player who will just like grab a game and take it, uh, you know, by the scruff of the neck sort of thing. I think he uh, he needs a bit of settling in. He, he needs an arm around him. Uh, lockdown's probably not helping. Can you imagine being a... 21, 22 year old kid in a new country and not being able to go anywhere. That's yeah. that's probably not helping all of Chelsea's players. To be fair, because they they're not um, able to to live normally, and and it's it's weird living in your own country as we all know. But imagine living somewhere where you don't have your family and you can't see them even if you wanted to. So it's a weird situation um, for the young players. But I think the way they play isn't suiting Werner in particular. Um, like it's very obvious. If you look back at Leipzig games last season, I think their tactic was, you know, they were good, fo- great football team. I'm not saying this is the only tactic, but as soon as any of the midfielders got it, they they put it in behind for Werner. He was on his bike straight away. As soon as a midfielder got the ball, he was off the defender's last, uh, off the defender's shoulder, and it was a foot race. Um, and Werner Werner won it nine times out of ten. So that was where it was coming from. And Chelsea don't seem to do that as much. They tend to be a bit safer in the build-up play. Um, probably because they're used to Giroud and Abraham who don't do the same thing. And I think Werner's been sort of let down a little bit by the tactics and then shoehorned out wide to try and keep him in the team. And I know you can play there, but still, he's not. it's not his best position. It's not where you'd pay £50 million to play him. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's there's problems there at Chelsea, but um, it depends whether Lampard's going to get the time now. He, he seems resigned, in my opinion, to... To knowing he's under pressure, he's saying things like, you know, it's not my decision. And usually when managers say, you know, it's not my decision, I can't make the choices, they're usually expecting <laughs> the sack. So there must be, a, it'll be a big week for Chelsea because I wouldn't be surprised to see the Twitter feed pop up with a picture of a corner flag. And it says club announcement Frank Lampard and <laughs> Avram Grant or Goose Hiddink is uh, is brought back in. So I don't know. Communicado official. <laughs> They'll probably put him on gardening leave to save him the embarrassment of being sacked, like they do with, like what Hull City did with Phil Brown all those yeah. years ago. I think they felt bad for sacking him, so they put him on gardening leave. I, I would say I hope they don't know because I think, like again, we we say this, we talk about these players and we say, oh, they've got they've got no experience and they're going to grow and we expect them to develop as players but for some reason we expect managers to kind of be the finished article and like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he went in at United had very patchy form now he's considered 
pretty competent coach and a really good fit and everything like that. But I think I think next season, if Chelsea sign a couple, just a couple of more experienced players, the likes of Thiago Silva, they could be a force. So yeah. I'd like to see him given time. I see your point, Callum. But I mean, if you talk about Chelsea on the whole, it's regression this season. When they finished mm. in the top four last season, they spent that money. Surely you'd expect an improved finish. Obviously, the Premier League hasn't transpired like that. But do you think that now, the bare minimum for Chelsea, like we all said at the start of the season, was top four. Now that they're five points behind, halfway through the season, drop down to eighth. Is that them out of it? Is that them out? They're definitely out of the title race for me. But in terms of the t- the top four picture, uh, is that it for them now? Is that why Lampard's so resigned? Well, it's re- it's really tight at the top of the table, and um, it could obviously all change again. I think I think the title probably is now a bit of a stretch, given that we're in January for them. But there's going to be they're surrounded by a lot of very good teams on their day who also have patchy form there's a lot of teams like Chelsea around them um, and there's also teams like we're going to come on to West Ham who are who are sneaking up into those positions so they've got to they do certainly have to develop some consistency um, just to make sure they maintain a position in that part of the table but I think the title probably a little bit beyond them now at this stage We've spoken about Chelsea. Now we should probably talk about the winners of the game last night. Two goals to nil in favour of Leicester. Top of the table. James Madison looked really sharp last night, Marley. He has looked good at the moment um, in recent matches. I thought his post-match interview was really good as well. Just the way he spoke so openly and honestly saying that he knows what is expected of him under his manager, Brendan Rodgers. Um, He's taken some of the criticism that's been levelled at him on board and he's used that to improve his game and he certainly looks like a, a rejuvenated player the one that we saw two seasons ago yeah incredible player um he started to reproduce that form after a bit of injury um and i can't remember what was quite wrong with him but since coming back i think he's got is it four goals or three goals in his last four games something like that and he's he's starting to just boss games um he's someone that you're scared of when you play Leicester you're like oh we've got to stop Madison because he's the playmaker you know we've got to stop him putting through balls through for Vardy we've got to stop him shooting from range um he's got two good feet I mean hit the bar with his left foot last night um I think he's called with his left foot as well but he hit the bar earlier on and it was just kind of he's always a threat um and that is something that Leicester can can really use to their advantage because he's the the main creative source and he's got that um, personality as well to take it on and not be not be shy, not be scared of of the opposition. And, um, he's now got the tactical ability as well to play in two different positions. He was saying in his his post uh, post match press conference last night, um, post match interview. He didn't do the entire press conference, did he? But he um, he was playing as an eight. He's playing like a different type of midfielder, not necessarily playing behind the front man as a number ten and waiting for the ball. He was getting his foot in. He was. You know, partnering with Tielemans and Ndidi in midfield, and that that midfield of three, Tielemans, Madison, and Ndidi, is brilliant. That is, there aren't many midfields better than that, and not many people are talking about it. And that's probably to their um, to their strength because Leicester don't want people talking about them. They don't want people saying, "Oh, you know, our Leicester in the title race." They probably just want to go under the radar. Um, and if any of them were listening to this podcast, the first 10 minutes of it, we spent, we spent talking about Chelsea. So that's probably another reason why they're liking how they are now, because, you know, people are talking about, you know, Chelsea losing rather than Leicester winning last night. Um, and the headlines will be, is Lampard going to get sacked and not how well Leicester played? So it's all just strengthening their case for a little outside shot of the title. Yeah, well, I think Madison kind of alluded to that and suggested that Leicester and their supporters and the players specifically don't really mind that, Callum. They don't mind the fact that people are talking about United and City and Liverpool and Tottenham and possible title contenders. 
Leicester have just gone about their business. That He said that they were happy to go about and do it in the background. And there's a reason they're top of the table because they know what to expect of each other. They know each other's games inside out. And as Marley rightly points out, we've spent the first 10 minutes of the show talking about Chelsea and their issues rather than praising how good Leicester have been. And, you know, if that's what Madison says is the feeling within the dressing room, that they're quite happy for that to continue. Well, I mean, it happened all the way back in 2016 where people were saying, oh, Tottenham will catch them up or Arsenal will catch them up or they'll drop points. It never happened. They went on to win the title. So there is that sort of mentality ingrained in Leicester City and it's paying off for them. Absolutely. I think Chelsea Chelsea are kind of the opposite of Leicester or Leicester are the opposite of everything that Chelsea are, to be honest. Like, you know, there's been no big flashy signings. There's no ongoing psychodrama about the manager in the press. There's there's a first team that, that kind of picks itself. Um, and, and as Marley was saying, like that midfield is excellent. I thought I thought Tielemans especially um, was at standout last night and has been every time I've seen him play. So they're just kind of... Leicester are doing right everything that Chelsea are doing wrong. I think that's that was the sort of overwhelming feeling I got yesterday. Um, you say under the radar, the more this goes on, the more in the radar they will become. But I, I, it's mm. it's really pleasing to see. And, and they're a very, very impressive team. And, and I think credit to Brendan Rodgers. There's, there's still some people that question Brendan, Brendan Rodgers' manager, managerial abilities because sometimes, to be honest, he sounds a little bit embarrassing the way he goes on about certain things. But I think he, he is very, very good at building that kind of collective squad mentality where they all work for each other and they're all they all come as kind of one unit and they're very organized and highly drilled um that's certainly what Celtic were like when he was there um and they can be devastating as well on the attack and and, and just mm. kind of more power to them I think Leicester Leicester are really dangerous this season and you know they, they've beaten quite a few of those big teams quite handily already totally agree with what you said there particularly about what people think of Brendan Rodgers I think he's a top quality coach um, and you know there's a difference in coaching and managing I think it's one of those nuances of football where uh, you know some people are coaches and some people are managers mm. but you can see the impact that his style of play has on games and you can see the way that players improve under his stewardship and I think that that is just simply good coaching I think it's really interesting that Rodgers kind of came to prominence as a manager, obviously he did well at Swansea um, and then went to Liverpool and that was kind of when social media really exploded, didn't it? Uh, it kind yeah. of took off social media. Coincidentally, that was when Sir Alex Ferguson kind of uh, retired with the with Manchester United having won the title and, and then social media kind of picked up shortly after that and, you know, people say about Brendan Rodgers and him turning into a meme and discussing character and stuff in his post-match interviews. I mean, does it really matter what someone says in an interview if they're getting the job done in their role as a manager on the pitch? I mean, I remember Sir Alex said some ridiculous things during his time in post-match press conferences. I remember Robin Van Persie had the ball kicked at him once and he said that he could have killed him. So, I mean, he doesn't get much stick for that, Sir Alex. But yeah, Rogers seems to get loads of stick for for, for saying something what's quite a normal thing to say. Um and I think nowadays managers do get that increased pressure and increased scrutiny because uh, of social media. But I would side with what you've said, Callum, and say that he really is an excellent coach. Do you think that there's more respect now, Marley, towards Brendan Rodgers, considering what a job he has done with Leicester over the last two or so seasons? Uh, there should be. And I, th I think there is. Um, I think the fact that you don't see people joining on about character and posting that meme of him meeting was it Ancelotti or someone in the in the tunnel and he made that weird <laughs> face and everyone was like oh look at this gimp and it was like well like it's just a little video it's not anything but I, he was wrongly hounded out of Liverpool and made into a meme as you say and I, I hated that even as a neutral I thought that's like you've just 
sort of uh, looked over a really good manager there because his tactics were always okay at Liverpool and then he did alright and he nearly got them to win the title and then he was like sort of laughed out of there um, and it was never it was never right he had Suarez and uh, Sturridge playing you know as good as any strike force in the world and still they just you know the, I don't know whether it was Liverpool fans or, or everybody but he was still just sort of bombed out of there pretty quickly and never got the um, never got the the credit for what he what he almost did at Liverpool and it took them seven years from then to then go and win win the league until last season so um, it's good that he's he's now getting sort of a bit more credit um, funnily enough I actually think he could be perfect for the Chelsea job um, which yeah, is weird because he's, <laughs> he's been at Chelsea and it's uh, it's probably a job he couldn't turn down if they did offer him it but I mean why not see where Leicester goes like why not in the summer, for example, if you if you finish fourth or fifth with Leicester, why not then go to Chelsea or something like that if they if they were interested in him. So, um, but yeah, he's a quality manager. He's easily one of the best in the Premier League. Um, top three or four. Players me. love him as well. Every player that's ever played yeah. for him just just absolutely adores playing for him. I so, don't know if yeah. I'd go to Chelsea though. I don't know if I would. I just think the way that they've built that culture of sacking managers and look Lampard's a club legend and we're talking about the axe mm. possibly falling on him after a season and a half so I'm not sure I'm not sure we'll have to wait and see but I, I definitely think you've got a huge point there with what he's achieved at Leicester and uh, definitely deserves utmost credit because uh, this morning Leicester City sit top of the Premier League after beating Chelsea by two goals to nil it wasn't the only game that took place last night there was a game at the London Stadium West Ham welcomed West Bromwich Albion we'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your lockdown listen when it comes to Premier League podcasts. Time to talk about another game that took place last night. We've already discussed Leicester against Chelsea in the first part of the podcast. Now let's talk West Ham against West Brom. The score was 2-1 to West Ham United. West Ham, two goals to one victory for them. Good win for the Hammers. Um, Jared Bowen got on the score sheet, Callum. It feels like that was quite important for him because everyone was raving about him at Hull City. Obviously, he signed for West Ham uh, last January and Hull City ended up going down to League One. They missed him, uh, but he didn't really show what he was fully capable of in that half season since signing from West Ham, albeit the Hammers did stay up. Do you think he's quite shown his Premier League quality yet? It's always difficult when a player, especially comes from the lower leagues, to make that step up. And I, and I know I've seen, I've not seen much of West Ham, but I've seen West Ham fans talking about Bowen being in the team and, and having mixed feelings, shall we say, on him. Um, I thought he took the goal really well last night. I know it kind of came off his, his shoulder or his chest, but to get into that position, to run from deep like that, I think um, I think shows he's got he's got the head on him that the kind of clinical edge and the anticipation that you need in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's just a classic case of maybe taking a little bit of time to step up to that level. Um but the same could be said for all of West Ham. I mean, they've they've now started putting together a really good uh, run of games. I think that well, they're unbeaten in six now. Um and their their mm. eyes are sort of turning up up the table and um, David Moyes said that they did kind of won ugly last night and that's what he was training them to do I don't think they were that bad I thought they created lots of chances but he seems to be um, slowly building a level of kind of consistency and, and organisation at West Ham that, that is, is looking really positive 
Yeah, absolutely. Another three points for them. And I think that if you look at the statistics in terms of managers in the Premier League, David Moyes has gone from being arguably one of the least effective last season when he was kind of drafted in to replace Pellegrini and West Ham only just stayed afloat to being one of the most effective in terms of a turnaround in a season to season period. He's doing really, really well, really, really well. And he deserves utmost credit for that. Um, As for West Brom, Big Sam tried to take his uh, former club head on and and get a result. They did manage to, to score a good goal um, in the end to, to pull one or to go level in the end, but they, they ended up falling behind once more through Antonio late on, Marley. Um, they've played more games than everyone around them, West Brom. Big Sam, I think the saying goes that he's never been relegated from the Premier League as a manager. I think that's me right in saying that. I'm not 100%, but I've certainly heard that uh, been thrown around. If that is the case, do you think this West Brom gig is a step too far, even for Big Sam? Uh, that old chestnut. Um, <laughs> it looks like it looks like it. I mean, I don't think West Brom have got the squad to stay up. Um, it's just whether they can be organised and grind out points here and there. And I think when you're losing games like West Ham last night, I think that was a game they could have got a point from um, at least. And mm. they had it in the hands and they, they threw it away. I think it was was it ten or fifteen minutes between. Pereira equalising and then Antonio scoring um, and I think maybe they just haven't been as solid as they need to be and I think with Allardyce having what 10 days left he's already made, he's done the Snodgrass deal um, and you know <laughs> or has he well yeah it's been investigated isn't it but some yeah weird... we'll talk about that in a sec yeah we'll move on to that in a minute but um, yeah it's hard when you're coming in in January because you know as everyone says, the the window isn't the easiest to do business in. Um, he didn't have a big run at it. I think he was only in charge for... Was he put in charge just before Christmas, wasn't it? So, like the 17th of December or something like that. So it's not as if he could even have a big list of players he wanted to get and you know, he didn't even know the finances before he came in, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he's, he's he's kind of got to just do with... Uh, make do with what he's got and I think... I don't think it'll be enough. Um... And he's talked, he's talked for years, hasn't he, about retirement, Sam Allardyce. I thought he'd retired two or three times um, before keeping on coming back. <laughs> and, you know, like a, like one of them punch bags that just keeps bouncing back. He just keeps bouncing back into jobs. Um, but I think if he does get relegated, it's a perfect time to retire and just call it a day, isn't it? Because um, he's been going a while now. And the one thing that everyone says about Allardyce, oh, he's not been, he's not been relegated. Um, if he does, what's he got to... What's he got to live on now? You know, people are, are going to be more um, apprehensive to give him jobs when they're at the bottom of the league because he, he got West Brom took down. If you're in, you know, yeah. this time in a year, something like that. So I don't I don't think they've got enough to stay up. I don't think they've got a few decent players like Pereira looks decent, but I don't think it's enough to to keep him up. And we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see in the next few months, but it's. It's not even that long until you're sort of talking about the cut-off point of when you've got to start winning games because the games are coming mm. that thick and fast. If you lose three in a week and you know Fulham or Brighton pick up points, then it just st- just stretches that bottom of the table even more. And West Brom can't afford that, I don't think. Yeah, I think they're going to go down, and I'm not afraid to stick my neck out and say it. To be honest, I'll <laughs> happily be proved wrong by West Bromwich Albion fans. Uh, if they do stay up, I will offer an apology on this podcast, but I just personally cannot see that happening I think as well with West Bromwich Albion and with Big Sam and Marley talks about you know his future as a manager I think that his legacy 
has kind of been tainted anyway, just in terms of the way the game's moved on. Callum, I don't know what you would think about that because we discussed this on one of the podcasts over the weekend that, you know, that sort of golden spell that Big Sam had with Bolton Wanderers, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. He went into Bolton in 1999, you know, and we're talking that was a long, long time ago. And although they had some good players and he did an excellent job there, the game has moved on significantly, even in the last five years, let alone 20 years ago. And then, of course, there was the whole England debacle and the way he left that job. And now he's got this reputation as a, oh, bring Big Sam in. He's a firefighting manager. Well, if that is his kind of final saving grace, let's just say, if he goes down with West Brom, as as Marley rightly points out, even that element of his managerial credentials is removed. So what do you think about Big Sam and his possible future in in management? I actually find Big Sam really interesting, just as a a slightly tragic story like his career arc do you know what I mean because when he came in when he came in at Bolton right um he was praised because Bolton were actually a really attacking team and he managed to get them kind of organized but also had JJ Akocha in there and and a few like you know he had Ivan Campo that they were they were a dangerous team Bolton and and he was actually considered quite a progressive coach he used a lot of you know the new technologies that were coming through he was kind of the first person on the sort of stats train analyzing the players all the nutrition all that stuff that it's kind of amazing to think that people weren't doing before Allardyce was always one of the first to sort of do that early in his career and then like you say there was the the sort of the England thing but even I think it was before that he he did a really bizarre interview that's always stuck in my head where he said that basically if he wasn't English and if his name was Sam Allardici he would have been offered the Real Madrid or the Inter Milan job by now and I, I, whilst I think whilst I think that was bluster I think there's a there's a shred of a point in there which is that Big Sam the way he sounds where he's from the name Big Sam he, he kind of has this very workmanlike quality and and he's kind of been pigeonholed in that in that way and I reckon I think what after it blew up for him in England because as we've already hinted at wherever Big Sam goes an investigation invariably follows um there's there was sort of like allegedly um there was sort of he kind of doubled down on that persona and it, and it's a bit of a shame that he's kind of I think he's lost some of what made him such a progressive coach at Bolton and the game has moved on in the last five years and he's kind of refused to adapt and he's kind of dug his heels in and he's he's tried to to double down on 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 this uh, stereotype of him which I thought initially was unfair but but now he's kind of really leaning into I also think with West Brom they're going to go down and I think he's personally very annoyed because that never been relegated thing mm. did mean a lot to him um, and I think he realises he's been <laughs> sold a dud in West Brom I think he was told they were saveable and they're not no, definitely going to be an uphill battle for him um, but Roy Hodgson got the Inter Milan job once so there's always hope for Big Sam you never know you never True. ever know <laughs> um, Marley you touched upon this earlier Robert Snodgrass Signed for West Bromwich Albion earlier on this month uh, in the January transfer window. However, there was allegedly a gentleman's agreement, whatever that means in modern football terms, between West Ham United and West Bromwich Albion that Robert Snodgrass wouldn't be allowed to play in this game against his former club. Well, gentleman's agreement or not, it's currently under investigation because Snodgrass did play for West Brom. Supposedly, he was ineligible as it was written in the terms of the contract that he couldn't play. Now, who's at fault here? Who's being blamed? Should Big Sam get it in the neck because he should know these things? Has someone not informed Big Sam? Does Robert Snodgrass even know this? Or is it completely above all of their heads and it goes to whoever's the director of football or the chief executive? I mean, it's all a bit of a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it it is a bit messy. And when I seen this sort of going around yesterday, initially I was thinking, you know, what 
these things have happened for a long time. Uh, they're not, you know, gentlemen's agreements of not playing against a team you've literally just signed from is not uh, a rare thing. It happens. It's happened a lot in the past. Um, but with the modern day, you know, and all the rules and stuff, to me, it just it sounded like. You know when it when it came out that this agreement had been in place. I think the people that leaked and said this agreement was there didn't realise that there's a rule against it now, um, and neither did I because I I have no issue with it. I don't see that. I don't think there's a problem with it at all. Um, but it it smacked to me a bit of like oh crap we didn't realise that there was a rule against it because why would you say that um, if the if you knew there was a rule against it you just wouldn't would you so. Um, you know, Snodgrass played ninety minutes at the weekend, and f- three days later, there's a game. It, it's not hard to just say, you know, he felt a bit of a, a calf knock. Um, we didn't want to, we didn't want him to travel because he was good at the weekend, and we'll, we want him fit for for the next game. And no one would have questioned that at all. So to say that there was a gentleman's agreement um, for him to not play against the team he's just uh, signed from was, uh, I think it was just a mistake and. I don't know what will happen in terms of investigations. It'll probably be a fine, and um, I don't know if they they can ban anyone. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's it's a strange thing. I didn't expect to be talking about um, when Robert Snodgrass moved from West Ham to West Brom. So yeah, strange one. Yeah, absolutely. We await to see the outcome of that investigation. I think you're spot on, Marley. I think it will be. Uh, a hefty fine for West Bromwich Albion, and I don't think the player or the manager will be punished because of that. Um, that was last night. What about tonight? Two Premier League fixtures on offer for us, starting at the Etihad, where Manchester City take on Aston Villa. And we talk about Leicester City being top of the table right now, but Manchester City could possibly be top of the table. Obviously, United could also be top, resulting uh, depending on their result against Fulham, which we'll talk about shortly. But first, City... Um, if you're talking about psychological blows in a title race, going top of the table is is certainly something you want to be doing. Aston Villa, however, they've made a name for themselves this season, Callum, as being a decent outfit compared to last season where they were almost a guaranteed three points at times. So this is going to be a tougher test for City than uh, some might be expecting. Yeah, and a a tougher test as well than I think a few games have have been recently. Um, That said, City are, are clicking into gear. Um, they sh- they should have more than enough to beat Villa, um, but yeah, like you say, I'm I'm maybe slightly wary um, of Villa. I think you know they could they could give City a, a bit of a bloody nose. They've got some good players, but if City City needs to now build on this form that they've that they've developed, um, they've been good against Palace. They've ha- they've beaten uh, Chelsea and things recently, and I think now now's the time to to kick on and, and push that unbeaten number into double figures because then it's it's serious title talk at that point. Aston Villa haven't played for ages, Marley, because of coronavirus and they've had a couple of games postponed and whatnot. Is that going to benefit Dean Smith's side or do you think it might affect them considering they might not be up to speed? I mean, I guess you could look at it two ways. It's a help in the sense that players have been able to get back to full fitness and there's been plenty of time to prepare, but it could be a hindrance in the fact that they might not be sharp enough. Well, that's a a million dollar question, I suppose. Um, I think they haven't got many injuries tonight. Um, it's probably a nice little break. Um, but having said that, they've got I think they've got six games in eighteen days coming up now. Um, so you've got to play every three days, and um, you've got to be ready for it. But I think if you if you offered someone a little a little break just after Christmas, it's probably quite nice. Um, I know they've had COVID, and it's not exactly ideal um, circumstances. But 
um, you've had that break and you've do you have got a little bit of relief from from uh, playing games every every three or four days like most teams have. So um, and as well, you can see where you're going to be um, in in the three games that you've missed because if Villa win all three of their games in hand, they'll go they'll be second in the Premier League, and that's like that's a big carrot to dangle in front of a team. I know that, that one of the teams is 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 Man City tonight and. You know, you've got a. It's not exactly an easy game, but you. The motivation at the end of it is, if you beat them, then you can then go second in the league if you win your other two games in hand, and that's it. That's such a, a motivation thing, and that's been that's come out of them having this this little enforced COVID break, and uh, it's um mm. it's a, it's a weird situation, but it's one that you know they've got to deal with, um, and I think. The squad yeah. has been pulled apart and then put back together by the the lack of uh, training and what have you. But I think the the there should be a tight enough squad to get over it. And even the kids didn't look too bad against Liverpool, so it's not as if uh, they're completely mm. bereft of players. So we'll see what they can do. I think having games in hand is an interesting debate to have, really, because there's two schools of thought, Callum, isn't there? There's you'd rather have the points in the bag which I think most teams would, but there's also the argument that you put pressure on your opponents when they know that the other sides have got games in hand. It kind of maybe heaps extra pressure on them. I think it's a, I, I think it feels like an advantage for me anyway at this point. I think it feels like it takes the pressure off you. People aren't asking why Man City aren't top. They're kind of, it's like Schrodinger's cat. They kind of are top and aren't top at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think tonight will be, even if it's only for a short amount of time, will be a huge boost for some in that squad because it's been a while since Man City could win a game and go top of the league for any length of time um, so this is kind of not that we're, we're back because we never went away but I think it's this symbolically for the squad can be something to rally around um, but I'd, I personally would be quite happy if we went the whole season now with one or two games in hand over the rest mm. of them because like you say it just it just diverts those awkward questions and it, it, it heaps all the pressure on them and it totally undermines like if you're Man United and you get a great win and you celebrate it and then, and then some Man City fan just kind of clicks their fingers and go yeah yeah we've got, we got a couple of games in hand don't get don't get too cocky sure yeah, yeah 100% see what you're saying I tell you what you, you mentioned that City never went away Callum have you finally clicked into gear I suppose is the way to say it because City had their issues at the start of the season defensively and then they were kind of fortified and then City couldn't score any goals and now it feels like they are starting to turn back into the Manchester City that everyone knows watertight at the back potent up front they were absolutely clinical against Crystal Palace I imagine you'd be expecting for more of the same against Villa albeit it won't be as simple yeah absolutely I, I, you know I'd love to know this is the season I'd, I'd like the Amazon documentary to show what, what Pep's done because at the start of the season it seemed to be um, kind of on the verge it was a bit chaotic there was sort of problems with the, the defence then there was problems with the attack and there was players that were like completely off their game and then all of a sudden sort of in the last month sort of since Christmas um, players players have come back in um, I think that's a really telling sign that you've got players like John Stones who's come back into the squad after everyone assumed his time was done and has been performing really well and looks like he's enjoying football again and, and that's that speaks to Guardiola's 
incredible management abilities and and the the way he sort of psychologically manages the players as well and I'm just I'm really impressed that he's been able to turn it around because to be honest back in maybe like October November you you did wonder if that was if this season was going to kind of fizzle out and things were going to continue not really working but it looks like it does look like City of old in in places maybe not as swashbuckling as we were a couple of seasons ago but but putting teams to bed pretty easily um, and there was kind of a, a sense of inevitability about the result against Palace and, and to have that back just makes you a really intimidating team to face. Yeah, I think it's one of these games where a lot of eyes will be on it just purely because Aston Villa have been so good this season and Manchester City very much in an excellent position in the Premier League title race. But completing the three-way dance for the top of the table bragging rights is Manchester United, of course. Uh, They were top after their draw with Liverpool last weekend, but such has been the way that the fixtures have all been coming so thick and fast as the lads have pointed out, uh, the, the top spot has changed hands now to Leicester City. Um, City, Man City, that is, can go top over Leicester if they beat Villa. Uh, but Manchester United can reclaim uh, the summit if they can beat Fulham at Craven Cottage tonight. Uh, they've been better in recent weeks, Fulham, Marley. But is it still too much of an ask for them to turn over Manchester United? Uh, well, the, the thing is about Fulham, they'll have a right good go. I think um, I watched them for most of the game against Chelsea and I thought they were really good Um, and they really tried even with 10 men they tried to take the game to Chelsea they tried to press they tried to you know be a threat on the counter attack and 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 take the chances when they came and obviously with 10 men it didn't quite work Um, but they were they were sort of showing signs of having enough to stay in the league and I think this will be a tougher game for Man United tonight than people are probably thinking. They're probably thinking Fulham are 18th, they're, they're struggling. Um, I think they've drew the last five games, Fulham. Um, so it's not as if you know, you've know uh, you've, you've got a, a gimme here. It's pretty... Um, they're going to make it a fight. And I think Man United, the style of Fulham probably suits a bit uh, suits Man United a bit because, as I said, they will attack you and they might leave holes. Um, Man United have been great on the counter-attack for... The most part of this season um, so there will be possible opportunities there but also you've got to know that Fulham aren't, aren't a pushover they will try and play against you they will stick to their thing they won't give you much time in the ball where they can um, and they'll try and be a threat so mm. I think um, I think Fulham have they're starting to improve and they're starting to, to look better than everyone else down there I think you know I, I dread when Newcastle play Fulham because they'll pass us off the pitch like they did last time um, so yeah, I think Fulham Fulham will have a good go. I think it's a good test for Man United, though. I think Fulham are an informed team, so if you're going to beat someone to go, um, well, to keep up with the pressure at the top of the league in that in that uh, race, then we'll uh, we'll see if they can do it. But it's not as simple as what some fans on on social media that I've seen are, are predicting. I think I've seen people saying about let's rest players and and mm. um, keep them for the next game. I don't think you can necessarily do that against a team that's playing, uh, starting to find their identity under uh, Scott Parker. Yeah, talking of resting players, there's been a lot of chat, Callum, about Bruno Fernandes, who I think has been probably the the most impactful signing of any side in the Premier League since last January and I think the statistics have probably backed me up on that he certainly has driven Manchester United back towards the levels where they want to be Uh, but with a top class player you get absolute insatiable hunger a player who wants to play every single football match regardless of what competition or what the importance level of the games are 
as such, he hasn't quite been his usual effervescent self, Bruno Fernandes, in recent matches. He seems to have gone off the boil a little bit. Do you think it's just a case of him playing far more games than he's used to coming from the Portuguese league? Is it becoming an issue for Manchester United or is it just simply the fact he isn't a machine, he isn't a robot and he can't perform at full tilt every single game? I, I think he needs a rest. I think um, I think any player needs a rest. I think you, you talk about players at the top level have that insatiable hunger for games. They absolutely do. But if there was ever a season to test just how insatiable that hunger really is, it's probably this one because there's just so many games. Um, and it's, it's kind of like Marley was alluding to earlier with the the Chelsea players it, it must be odd I don't, I don't know anyone who's who's on their best form in work or in life this month in January because it's it's pretty um especially if you moved from Portugal to rainy Manchester you know I, I, I don't actually think it stopped raining for about a week and I, I don't I don't mean to trivialize it like I'm, I know he's a professional I'm sure he's set, he's already clearly settled to an extent and he has been playing very well but I think take him out of the team give him a break um and I think he'll come back all the stronger for it he, he's not a machine and he has played just so many games recently is, is this have. the right game to do that though Callum I know it's another Premier League game and Manchester United are looking to reclaim top spot but it is against Fulham aside down the bottom of the Premier League table you'd expect Manchester United to be to have enough to beat Fulham no disrespect to them even without Fernandes yeah absolutely I mean the question then just becomes who takes the the penalty that United get given <laughs> um no they, they they should they should have they should have enough um and I think if I if I was Ollie. I would I would say Fernandez for for bigger tests down the road, um, but then I would say that because I'm a Man City fan. So yeah, take him out of the team. Well, yeah, you'd expect uh, Bruno Fernandez to get back to his usual self at some point in the next couple of weeks. Maybe a rest is required for the Portuguese. What will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do? We'll find out and we'll talk about it tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Fulham versus Manchester United tonight. But time for a quick break now on the podcast, and afterwards we'll be answering your questions. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time to answer your questions as, of course, it's the AQA section of Wednesday's podcast. Every single week, we take some questions for you people listening and answer them as best we possibly can. Now, we're not experts. We should put our hands up and say we are not experts. We're just fans who love the game and love the Premier League as much as you do. So we'll try our very best to give some explanations to these questions if you fancy sending in a question to football social daily you're more than welcome to do so all you need to do is head over to our social media channels on twitter at the sports social instagram at sports social official and if you just search in the search bar on facebook for sports social you'll find our page there our dms are open on all three platforms so go and check those out and send us a question if you want us to get it answered for you on next week's aqa podcast first question quite simply who is going down? This one comes from Vlad. Difficult question. Um, who's going down? I've already said, Callum, that I think West Brom will go down on this podcast. I think it's too much for Sheffield United. I, I don't want to say that Brighton will go down because they seem like they play too nice football to go down. But um, I think Marley has a point with Fulham being the, the form side. So I think that, that maybe Brighton and Hove Albion could get sucked into it. So that's my three. Brighton, West Brom and Sheffield United, as things stand now mid-January, who are you going for? 
I am going to put Burnley in there just because every single year people say that Burnley are too solid to go down, <laughs> and they're 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 just defensively strong, and um, it, you know, there's this cliche about it being a hard place to go and stuff, and if you just if you look at the numbers, it's just quite frankly not true anymore. Um, you know, they're they're down there on on 16 points, they don't have a particularly good run of form, and I reckon this might be the year that the sort of Burnley come back towards the end of the season might not materialise um, I think yeah West Brom and Sheffield United are probably gone Fulham have shown a bit of fight and I think Newcastle Wolves probably a bit too good to go down at this stage maybe not Newcastle I don't know <laughs> um, but yeah Bur- Burnley, Burnley's the one I would be looking at and thinking I reckon they'll don't get don't hold back down. just because I mean <laughs> well Marley it'd be interesting to get your take on it because I mean, you'd be quite happy if Burnley uh, displaced Newcastle in that final relegation spot. Um, Newcastle are above the drop zone at the moment, but things have not been going good for your team. And, you know, we read out some statistics on yesterday's podcast that show Newcastle are pretty much bottom of the charts in all of the key statistics in Premier League games this season. That being said, the most important statistic is points and Newcastle is still afloat at this moment in time. I presume that you also feel that West Brom and Sheffield United will go down. So who's taken your final relegation spot? Yeah, I think um, yeah, West Brom and Sheffield United have gone, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm struggling with the last one because I'll maintain no one's playing worse in the league right now than us. Um, Newcastle would be, I think, I worked out yesterday that um, we'd be on 12 points and two points adrift of Fulham in 18th if you took out Callum Wilson's goals this season. Um, so that just kind of sums up his impact and... You know, if we can't get the ball to him, if we can't create chances, and we can't, or even if he gets injured, I think um, we're we're in massive, massive trouble, even bigger than we are now. But my, I, I would say if if this carries on to the end of the season, if Steve if Steve Bruce carries on, um, I can see us finishing 18th easily because we we are that bad. I think Brighton, as good as they can be, it doesn't work every week. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't produce results. The the sort of nice football, as as people say, um, they haven't got enough cutting edge for me, and that's why they're they're always down there in trouble. Um, Burnley, I mean, the ideal to this end for me for this crap situation, this crap season, would be Newcastle surviving at the expense of Burnley in eighteenth. Um, but I I don't know, but Burnley, if it came down to one game. And winning it, you would you would probably back Burnley to get a result over Newcastle because of their. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but their solidness. They're, they're solid at the back, and Newcastle aren't. <laughs> That's the thing. Like if it came down to it, they're just not as uh, they're not as weak as us at the back, um, and they don't look like conceding as much as we do. But 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 they have. But the the stats show that they they've let they've got a negative thirteen goal difference and Newcastle's only negative twelve. So this is this is what I'm saying is I think I think people get Burnley wrong. Mm, Tarkovsky and me are back though. They were injured for the first three or four months of the season. So for them to be back is a big big boost for Burnley. But interesting that you've gone for Burnley, Callum and uh, Marley's <laughs> Marley's wishing it to be Burnley, but isn't as convinced. I'm trying. I'm just trying not to say Newcastle are going to go down because I don't. I don't want to face that uh, reality, to be honest. Um, you know, we've been five at the back all season, and we're still conceding all these goals. But um, I don't, I don't know. Basically, I, at the minute, I would say on form, Newcastle are going down. Um, but by the, by the end of the season, I can see Brighton being 
uh, lower than us. I can see Brighton and Fulham, to be fair. I think Brighton, Fulham and Newcastle will be sort of 15, 16, uh, sorry, 16, 17th and 18th. I just don't know in, w- in which order, to be honest. So um, hopefully Newcastle can improve and St Maximan can single-handedly pull us out of the uh, the <laughs> mire that Steve Bruce has placed us firmly into (laughs) well that's Marley and Callum's choices thanks for your question Vlad Uh, time for our next and final question uh, of the podcast comes from Phil who actually ironically is a Newcastle United fan and this is quite a fully loaded question let's just say he says how the are Mark Hughes, Tony Pulis, Steve Bruce and Sam Allardyce still regularly employed to run football clubs? Thanks for your question, Phil. Um, Sticking on the relegation theme, I'll throw that one to you, Callum. Uh, We kind of discussed briefly about Big Sam earlier on in the show, so we can leave him to the side for the time being. But likewise, Steve Bruce, we've spoken about many a time on the podcast, particularly Marley's kind of vented his frustrations at the Newcastle boss. But Mark Hughes and Tony Pulis also... um, in that conversation in Phil's question so why do you think people still do give these managers jobs what do you think it is that tempts them Uh, I think it's fear and I think it's not fear of going down but it's fear of going down without having been seen to do the right thing and you know there's especially in this country we really really don't like it when we have a manager come in from abroad with his crazy new ideas or somebody who's untested even though those, some of those managers turn out to be a Klopp or you know a Bielsa um, but then plenty of other, others end up being someone that, that just kind of disappears off and and, and if, if that it's about risk right and it's about being able to turn to the board of the fans and say look we went down but I did everything right I hired Tony Pulis I hired Big Sam I did what you're supposed to do when you're down at the bottom of the table um, and I think it, it, it's football is a very conservative sport in that sense and and club chairman and, and boards will want to be seen to just be doing the right thing even if they probably I, I don't imagine anyone hires Mark Hughes or Tony Pulis and has like faith that it's going to suddenly change everything but what they do have is reassurance that that when shit hits the fan they can turn around and go look I did what you were supposed to do I hired I hired the solid man that the, the good British manager that's supposed to get us out of this mess would you agree with that, Marley? Do you think that that's the mentality that some clubs take? They just need to be seen to uh, make an effort to keep their side in the Premier League? Or, or do you think that there is another element to it? Yeah, well, when this question came in, there was one word that, that sort of sprung to my mind about why teams do this. And Callum said it, it's fear. And it's it's specifically what he said, it's fear of the unknown. They don't want to take a chance on a foreign manager who might have better tactics because they want to they've got that guy sat there who's never been relegated in Sam Allardyce or he's got guys that'll shore up the defence like Tony Pulis and they're always out of work because in the long term teams don't want them because they play crap football or they play they don't get results or whatever um, Mark mm. Hughes for example never been relegated and that's always been the because he gets sacked before the teams go down um, <laughs> Indeed. which is just bizarre that people say oh well you know he's he's solid he's never been relegated it's, yeah because like if you were it's like heading towards the a bridge and like what would you do would you jump out the car before you go over the bridge and die or would you just go <laughs> off the end and say well you know I tried it's like it's <laughs> it's silly but you know we've seen what these foreign managers can do like Hasenhutl for a perfect example at Southampton go back a couple of years David Wagner at, at Huddersfield he kept a crap Huddersfield team in the league for two years 
um, picking up some cracking results over the over the the time. And Huddersfield were closer to being a League One club in terms of size than a Premier League club, and he got them in the Prem for two years. Um, yeah, they went down in the end, but still, he had enough about him to to keep them up that one year because they were probably the most unlikely team to ever stay in the Premier League in history. Um, but mm. yeah, when you've got guys out there that have been around the league and you know that old cliche of they know the league and blah blah blah. When they, when one of those guys comes into your your club, it's just depressing for fans because you've. I think as well the the. The tide is slowly changing. You've seen Tony Pulis get sacked after two months at Sheffield Wednesday recently. Um, and I think he got two wins in 11 or something like that. And they, they bombed him out pretty quickly. Um, and I think that's starting to sort of take over now. Um, and they're not teams are, are starting to say, well, is he the right course? Um, is, is this the right course for us? Because if we can get a manager from somewhere else and give him a chance... You know, it's it it's either a fifty fifty chance of them doing well, or them doing badly and not understanding the league and stuff like that, or there's a hundred percent chance of, you know, short term sort of improvement and then long term just crap football with someone like Hughes or Bruce or Allardyce or, put mm. to an extent Moyes as well. But it's just one of them where I think the when you're panicking and you need a new manager, fear comes into it and they're thinking, well. You want to take yeah. as as little a chance as possible, and I think that's why they keep getting uh, keep getting hired. But slowly, we'll we'll move away from it, and teams will be more brave in in their appointments. I think you're right. I think we will move away from it. I think that these days are very nearly done. I'm not sure when Steve Bruce leaves Newcastle United whether he will get another job in the Premier League. Likewise, Sam Allardyce and West Brom. I think Tony Pulis's time as a top flight manager is done. I can't see Mark Hughes managing another Premier League club unless things get really desperate. He'll be managing Newcastle in a week. Um, That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Cheers, Callum. Cheers, Marley. Cheers, guys. No worries. Cheers. We'll have more Premier League chat for you on tomorrow's show. Also, check out our website, sport-social.co.uk, for some of the latest top flight transfer news too. Hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. And we'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.